If you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6 this evening. If you're taking notes, you can tell this evening's message, Is Jesus enough when? And we're going to fill in that blank tonight. Is Jesus enough when? Would you begin reading with me John, chapter 6, beginning in verse 60. It says in verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Verse 63 is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, therefore I have come and I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my father. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Peter, or Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and also we've come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you have your pen, pencil, highlighter, something makes a line, let me, let me see it tonight. Pen, pencil, highlighter, something makes a line. Real quick, there's something I want you guys to underline, and there's a direction that we're going to head tonight. In verse 68, would you underline the words where Peter replies to Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Would you guys underline that? And let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. Lord, for this moment, this time that we have to just sit and to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would take your word this evening. And Lord, would you minister? Would you speak to our heart? Lord, you know exactly what we're going through. Lord, your word says that you know our thoughts from our far. You know our rising up, our lying down. You, you know our path. And Lord, because you know everything about us, Lord, tonight you know exactly what we need to hear. And so we pray that you would speak truth into our hearts and into our minds. So Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Question tonight, is Jesus enough? That's our topic, that's our direction, that's where we're going to wind up this evening at the end of our time together. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough, let me ask you tonight, is Jesus enough when I'm alone? When I'm feeling isolated, when I'm feeling lonely? It's just him and I in that season. Some of us know that season, don't we? It's just me and Jesus. Everyone else is faded. Everyone else is kind of gone. For whatever reason, circumstances have allowed for me to be in this place, feeling this way. And the question tonight is, is he enough for you? Is he enough for me in those moments and seasons where I'm feeling isolated, lonely, and alone? Let me ask you tonight, is Jesus enough when we're in the midst of a storm? When we're in the midst of a trial and there's no end 
in sight. You see, people try and comfort you. They try and encourage you. But it doesn't seem to get any easier. In fact, in that moment, you ask yourself the question, is Jesus enough? In my present storm, in my present trial, is Jesus enough for me? Let me ask you this, is Jesus enough when your closest Christian companion decides they're switching churches? And for whatever reason, you do not feel called to go with them. You do not feel called to make the move. And all of a sudden, as they transfer, as they move, as they move on, there you are thinking to yourself, now I'm here. And all of a sudden, the Lord has to ask the question, am I enough in that season? I remember when 1994, when I gave my life to the Lord and I started coming to church here, I came with a couple other friends. And we all showed up to youth ministry and we met this really cool Filipino guy by the name of Dennis. And so we walked in and Dennis welcomed us into the ministry and and took us under his wings and discipled us. But yet after a year, my two friends were gone. I don't know what happened to them, but they just decided, hey, we don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to be honest, I don't really know the outcome. But for whatever reason, it was like, wait, you guys were the ones that invited me. You guys were the ones that persuaded me to come, and yet here I am, and it's just me and a guy named Dennis, and everyone else is gone. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, in that season, in that moment, Jesus and a little Dennis was enough. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Pastor Dennis. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus enough when someone you care about walks away from the Lord, and you've lost your running partner in the faith. Anyone have, here have a running partner? It's been you and them, you, you, the two of you, since the beginning. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord around that same time period, and they've been your running partner in the faith, and for whatever reason, they decide to walk away. Let me ask you a question tonight. Is Jesus still enough to keep you running? Let me ask one more question tonight. Is Jesus enough when you sense the Lord wants to do a new work in your life and you have to wait on him for direction. Have you ever been there? You sense God is doing something and yet you can't quite put your finger on it and so you have to wait. You have to be still. You have to sit maybe for a season and ask the Lord to give you direction. And for a season, there might be no ministry, There might be no pulpit. There might be no platform just waiting on the Lord. Let me ask you a question tonight. Is Jesus enough when we have to wait? When we have to wait for him? As we approach our text this evening, I just want to give you guys just a bit of a background as to this time period that we find ourselves in here in John chapter 6. And all of it is going to lead up to verses 68 and 69 when Peter makes a declaration that Jesus is enough for him. And so let's kind of talk a little bit about the background here tonight. At this particular moment, at this time, Jesus begins a conversation with a crowd somewhere in Capernaum. And eventually the conversation ends up in the synagogue. 
The context of the conversation was this. You guys remember the story. The previous day, at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus men, women, and children with five loaves and two fish. And now many from this crowd, they decide, because Jesus had fed them the day before, they decide, hey, we want to continue to follow this guy Jesus. And so the next day they go and they continue to follow him. Go back with me a little bit um, earlier in chapter 6. Go over to verse 24 real quick. I want you guys to notice something. It says in verse 24 concerning this crowd that some from the crowd got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And so they looked. Jesus had satisfied their hunger. Jesus had, had fed them in that moment, and they make the decision, hey, it's the following day, we want to be fed again. So they jump into the boats, and they head to Capernaum to seek Jesus. In fact, those that didn't get into the boat, some even followed Jesus around the Sea of Galilee and found him there in Capernaum. So as they came to Jesus now, this crowd is making their way to Jesus, it became quickly apparent what their motive was. The previous day, Jesus had met their physical needs by satisfying their appetites. And now this crowd was back again to have their appetite satisfied once more. You could almost hear the crowd. We want more fish. We want more bread. Would you feed us again? Imagine this crowd. They're they're that desperate that they cross the sea, they go around the sea, they make their way to Jesus because Jesus had fed them and they want to be fed again. Go with me to verse 26. I want you guys to notice the response now as Jesus speaks to them. It's in the verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And so Jesus stops this crowd as they begin to seek him, and he corrects them. He addresses their motive. He says, you guys are not crossing the sea, going around the sea, coming to Capernaum, because, hey, you love me. You're not following me because, hey, I'm the Messiah, You're coming to me because you ate loaves of bread and you were satisfied. But let me tell you something. There's food. There's food. This food, it only satisfies for a moment. But there's food that doesn't perish. And there's food which endures to everlasting life. And so their motive in seeking Jesus and following Jesus was motivated by their flesh their appetite. Listen, church, they saw Jesus as nothing more than a bread machine. And their view of Jesus was that the supreme reason that Jesus came into the world was to provide them with physical food. I want to stop there for a second. And I want to ask you a question. When you think of why Jesus came, The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that the word became flesh and dwelt among us as a man, right? And so he came, dwelt among us, and he's here. What's the first thought that comes to your mind about why Jesus came? Think about that with me for a moment. 
And if we were to go around the room this evening, a lot of us would have different answers for why Jesus came. For this crowd, in their mind, in their view, in their understanding, Jesus came to feed them. Jesus came because they had a momentary need, an appetite, and Jesus was going to satisfy it through bread and through fish. Let me say this this evening. Any time that we view Jesus as simply our provider of physical things, we have a very low understanding of Jesus. We have a very low understanding of why Jesus came. And so Jesus proceeds to instruct them that the supreme reason that he came to the world was not to provide them with physical bread, although let me say tonight that Jesus does provide for our physical needs as he sees fit. But more importantly, he came into the world, and we know this, to satisfy the spiritual need and the spiritual hunger that every single one of us has. Notice verse 35 with me. Jesus said these words. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst again. And so Jesus replies to to, to this group here whose motives were twisted, whose view or understanding of Jesus was low. He says, I've come. I've come because I'm the bread of life. And I've come because if you attempt to feed yourself or or feed your that, that appetite with any other source of food other than the bread of life, Jesus Christ, he says, you're going to walk away empty. Or you're going to come back the next day to that source and ask for more again. He says, I'm the bread of life. And if you come hungry... I'll satisfy you spiritually. If you come thirsty, I will satisfy you to the point that you will never thirst again. Jesus said every single one of us has needs before we come to him. And the greatest need isn't bread. And the greatest need isn't fish. The greatest need we have is salvation. The greatest need we have is repentance. The greatest need we have is forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and a relationship with God. And yet many from this crowd were not concerned with the spiritual needs. They were only concerned with the temporary needs. And Jesus wants to remind them, hey, I've come down for spiritual needs. Look at verse 38 with me. He says in verse 38, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus is very clear. I came on a mission. I came per the will of the Father. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, would you write that down? Luke 19, verse 10. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said these words. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said these words. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, 
but I've come to call sinners to repentance. Even the Apostle Paul, he gave us a very clear and concise reason for why Jesus came in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am chief. You see, the word of God is very clear why Jesus came. He didn't come to meet the physical need, although he does. You see, Jesus didn't come to say, hey, let me just spoil you rotten, although at times he does bless us to overflowing. The reason Jesus came is because every man, every woman, every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. We sin. And Jesus came, Paul says, to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so Jesus tells the crowd that just as they accepted the bread the day before and they were satisfied that they can come to him as the bread of life and he would satisfy them with eternal life. And it's with that backdrop that I want to approach our text this evening. Would you begin reading with me there in verse 16? It says in verse 60, therefore, after this conversation about Jesus being the bread of life, it says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, this is what they said. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? There's a couple of things here in verse 60 that I want to focus on for just a moment. A couple words. If you're taking notes tonight, would you write this down? The word hard here. These disciples, they come to Jesus as Jesus explains to them that he's the bread of life and this is what they say. They say this right here, what you've just communicated to us is a hard saying. The the word hard in the Greek, it's actually an interesting word. It it literally means it's, it's not hard in the way that you and I think hard to be. It's the word in the Greek. It literally explains that it's difficult to accept. And so these this disciples, they're there with Jesus, and they look at Jesus and they say, man, this right here, your claim to be the bread of life and the one who would satisfy us, they say it's difficult to hear that. It's difficult to accept that. And it wasn't that it was hard to understand But it was hard to accept that what Jesus was declaring was truth. And and the second word that's used there in verse 60, notice it. They they, they say these words, who can understand it? It's hard to hear it. Who can understand it? The word understand in the Greek, it, it literally means to hear with appreciation or acceptance. So what they're saying to Jesus is they're saying, hey, you just dropped truth on us. And we're having a hard time with it. We're having a hard time accepting it. In fact, we're having a hard time even appreciating what you have to say or the offer that that you've extended to us. We don't, in fact, we don't appreciate it. And so these disciples understood what Jesus was saying, but they simply were saying no. They were saying, we don't want it. We don't want you. We could find other means to be satisfied or fed. And I want to stop there for a second. Would you give me your eyes for a moment, church? 
There are certain biblical truths. Let's be honest, in the culture that we're living in, there are certain biblical truths, even as followers of Jesus Christ, because of the world that we live in, they're hard for us to accept. You see, there are certain things in in Scripture. There's certain sin that the Bible talks about. There's lifestyle that the Bible addresses. There's There's the topic of hell that the Bible talks about. And when you hear these teachings, some of them, even as a disciple... They're hard for us to accept. How many of us struggle sometimes with this? We, we do, don't we? In fact, and then you go to work, and you're in a very anti-God place, anti-Scripture place, anti-Bible place, and it's even worse because it's so blatant, it's so in your face, and everyone else is very far this way. And you as a Christian, you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're having to stand your ground. You're having to figure out how to speak truth, but not hate. You're having to figure out, okay, how do I speak truth, but don't come across like I'm being intolerant or I'm going in this direction where now you don't want to talk to me. Because ultimately, we're called to shine, aren't we? We're called to be light. And so there's this fine balance between, hey, This is truth, and yet how do I live it in my daily life? And then the more you're around people, the more you're in the secular world, the more, you know, people sometimes that are even smarter than you, more intellectual than you, and and they have their stance that's completely opposite of your, your truth, what God's word says is true. There's this fight, there's this struggle, and that's what's going on here. They heard it, they understand it, They just don't want to accept it. Would you write this verse down? Psalm 119, verse 160. If you're here tonight and you're struggling with certain biblical truths, I pray that Psalm 119, verse 160, would be one of those verses that you would just allow to minister and to speak to your heart. It says in Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, the entirety of your word is truth. Let that sink in for a moment tonight. The entirety of God's word, from Genesis to Revelation, to the passages that are easy to understand and easy to accept, to the passages that are uncomfortable to accept, and yet we know and believe that they're truth, the entirety of it is truth. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is one of those scriptures, this is one of those truths that we need to embrace and accept in our heart. And if we're, if we're battling, if we're struggling with maybe this issue or that issue or this text or, or that verse, then would you surrender it to the Lord? And would you ask the Lord to continue to minister, to continue to speak to your heart about this specific topic or this specific subject? And so Jesus goes and he addresses the crowd and they say, hey, this is difficult to understand. Notice Jesus' response in verse 61. Jesus said in response, 
It says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? I I love Jesus. I love how straight up and honest he is with, with with his crowd. There's no sugarcoating. There, there, there's no watering down. This is a conversation. This is a response that needed to happen. And Jesus looks at them and says, does this offend you? The, the word offend here in the Greek, it, it literally means, does this cause you to distrust me? Does this, has this allowed your heart to become displeased with me? Jesus looks at them and he says, does this offend you? Keep reading with me in verse 62. He says these words, what then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? And so Jesus said these words. He says, okay, if you're offended or if you're displeased with my claim that I am the the bread of life that's come down from heaven, what are you going to do? How are you going to feel when I ascend back into heaven? So he says, you guys are struggling with the fact that I've come down to save sinners, that I've come down to satisfy your spiritual needs. What about when I go up? What about when I leave this place? Is that going to offend you? Are you going to struggle with that? And so Jesus just continues to just sort of be honest and upfront with these who are questioning him. Keep reading with me, verse 63. It says, it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, hey, the words, these words that are coming out at this moment, this conversation that we are having, he says, listen, they are spirit and their life. This is a spiritual conversation that we're having. And so Jesus is not willing to back down with this crowd. He's continuing to speak truth to them. He's not watering down truth. He's not sugarcoating truth. He's continuing to speak truth. Keep reading verse 64. He says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And so Jesus said, I know. Not only are you struggling with the fact that it's a hard saying, not only are you struggling with, hey, we're, we're really wrestling with whether or not to accept this. He says, let's take it a step further. I know that you're struggling with believing. He says, I know that there's some of you that do not believe. I know. He says, I know what's in your heart. I know what you're struggling with. It's unbelief. But I want you guys to notice something. Go back with me, verse 64. It says, hey, there are some of you who do not believe. You do not believe. Notice Jesus isn't saying, hey, you cannot believe or you're struggling with believing. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you you do not believe. You're making a decision. You, you, You put up a wall in your heart and you're refusing to believe. You see, there are different places in scripture where we're talking about, hey, not believing Versus, hey, I I cannot believe. 
You guys remember there, there was a dad who had an epileptic son. And he made his way to Jesus there in Mark chapter 9. And you guys remember as he makes his way to Jesus, he, he said to Jesus, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. He says, I believe, but would you help me? If, if there's anything lacking in my belief, would you help me in it? And so we're talking about someone who says, hey, I believe, but it's hard. I believe, but, but, but I'm struggling. Would you help my unbelief? You see, this is, that's a good prayer. It acknowledges that without God, we cannot believe as we ought to believe. And so tonight, maybe you're here and you've come and one of the things that you are wrestling with in your heart is unbelief. You've been doubting, questioning, maybe even going back to when we were talking about truth a moment ago. Maybe there's some passages that you're struggling with or wrestling with. Lord, help my unbelief. I'm struggling. It's a very honest prayer, isn't it? But Lord, would you help my unbelief? Or maybe you're here this evening and there's a promise that you've been holding on to, clinging to for years. And now you're wavering. Now you're questioning. Lord, I I believe. I believe you're good. I believe you're faithful. I believe you're able and you will. But Lord, would you help my unbelief? Because maybe it's been a while. Or Lord, it's been a battle. It's, It's been a struggle. I believe Yet help my unbelief. Keep reading with me, verse 65. It says, and he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. And so Jesus continues to, in a sense, go into this crowd and he responds to them. And another thing that he says to them is he says, Hey, everyone comes to me with different motives. But the ones that come to me, the ones that were drawn by, my, by the Father, those are at a place where, man, it, it's a genuine conversion. It's, it's a genuine repentance. Think about this with me for a moment. There are some who come to Jesus, but they only come to Jesus in times of trouble, in times of storm, in times of calamity. And yet the moment the storm ends, the moment there's blue skies and the clouds are gone, they're gone too. I remember being here at church after 9-11. This place was packed. I mean, it was just, there was this sense like, what's going on in this world? And there was fear. There was a heaviness. It was standing room only here in the sanctuary. And yet as time passed, so did people. The place is packed. And then little by little, people, you know, as things calm down, little by little, people begin to trickle out. And sometimes that's what happens. You know, someone comes to the Lord and, and their motive might be, Lord, would you make, my life is chaotic at the moment, would you calm it? And the moment the Lord calms it, they're out of there. Lord, I'm in the midst of heartbreak and pain. Would you heal me? And the moment the Lord heals them, they're out of there. And here Jesus said, hey, everyone comes for a different motive, a different agenda. 
And yet some, they come and it's genuine. And it's been granted to them by the Father. And I'll tell you, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. You guys, you, you guys know that text when Jesus is having his conversation with his boys? Prior to the cross, Jesus tells them that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit, right? He's going to give them the helper. And it's interesting because in the Greek, that, that, that word helper it literally means one who comes alongside. And so the work of the Holy Spirit, you guys remember, is to come and to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and, and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit comes alongside a, a person, and we all experienced this before. The Holy Spirit was coming alongside of us before we came to know the Lord. The Greek word is, is para, alongside. And what was he doing? He was convicting us. And there was a season, maybe, where you wanted nothing to do with that conviction. And so the more the conviction came, maybe the more you sinned. The more the conviction came, the more you said, I, I, I want nothing to do with that. I, I'd rather stay here than to turn to God. And I want you for a moment to think about some of the things we did, some of the conversations we were a part of, some of the places that we stepped into prior to coming to know the Lord. And when we would step into those places, when we would be involved in those conversations, when we would do those things, the Holy Spirit would just convict us. And there came a moment where we said, I'm done. I'm done. And the motive for I'm done was, I'm done because none of this satisfies. The places that I walk into, they do not satisfy. The conversations that I'm a part of, they do not satisfy. The things that I'm looking at to try and please the flesh, they do not satisfy. And we said, Holy Spirit, I'm done. I'm done. Would you forgive me? I'm desperate. I've been trying to fill this, this need, this hunger with everything else. I'm done. I need the bread of life. And you come to Christ, you come to Jesus because the Holy Spirit convicts you and draws you to him. And then all of a sudden in that moment, the motive to, for, for coming to Jesus, it's pure. Your motive for coming to Jesus is because you recognize you have a spiritual need that's great and only Jesus can satisfy it. At that moment, you come to Christ and the repentance is genuine. It's real. Jesus said, hey, no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. And I'll tell you tonight, I'm so thankful that before we knew Christ, that the Holy Spirit was para alongside us, convicting us of our sin, not allowing us to stay at a place where we became comfortable in it, but that the Holy Spirit convicted and we became more miserable in it to where we came to know the Lord. Look at verse 66 with me. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, and in fact, would you notice that we're in John chapter 6, and now we're about to head into verse 66. And so you take the numbers, what do you have? 666, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him 
no more. Sounds like a 666 kind of verse, doesn't it? I mean, you go and, and it just, it breaks your heart that some from this crowd had reached the point where they made a decision, we're going back. We came for food. He won't give us food. He wants to talk about himself being the bread of life and us to eat of him and he'll satisfy. We're done with this conversation. We're heading back. What's also sad about this verse is I want you to notice there, it says that many disciples, there were many. We're not talking about a couple. We're not talking about a few. We're talking about many at that moment in that conversation, they made the decision to walk with Jesus no more. We crossed the sea. We went around the sea. We took the boat. We found Jesus. And we've come to find out that he's not what we thought he was. And he doesn't satisfy in the way that we thought he would satisfy. Yesterday, he gave us bread. Yesterday, he gave us fish. And today, he wants us to have him. He wants to satisfy the spiritual need. We're done. We're out. They walk away. They make the decision to walk away. And there's something here that I also want us to notice because there might be a little bit of a confusion. It says in verse 66 that many of his disciples went back. Kind of interesting, when we think of a disciple, we think of a disciple in the terms of, hey, someone who's following Jesus. But the reality is the word disciple in the original language, it simply meant a learner. And so these were people who followed, who, who, who came after Jesus because they wanted to learn. They were interested. They were listening. They were learners. But the reality is in Scripture, in God's Word, there's actually two types of disciples. There's the learner, the, the listener, the hearer. And there's the disciple that makes the decision to follow after Christ where they take what they've learned, what they've heard, and they make a decision to follow. You see, these disciples were at the listening stage, the learner stage, yet they weren't in the follow stage. And so they go and they turn back and they walk with Jesus no more. You see, effectively, Jesus had discouraged their every motive, their material motive, their earthly motive, for following him. And so many decided to stop. Now, would you finish the text with me in verse 67? It says, when Jesus said to the 12 or his followers, do you also want to go away? Stop there for a minute. Jesus had just watched a group of people turn around and walk away. And he looks at the 12 his disciples, his followers, his boys. And he asked them the question. He says, do you want to go away also? There's many who've walked away. Would you like to join them? And I love Peter. Probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is verse 68. Would you look at it with, would you look at it with me? It says in verse 68, but Peter answered him and he said lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life 
Also, we've come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you didn't underline it or highlight it earlier, there in verse 68, would you underline the phrase, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter replies to Jesus. Jesus says, do you want to go also? And Peter's like, where are we going to go? Jesus, you are it for me. There's none. I mean, there's, I've been out there, Jesus. There's nothing else for me out there. I've tried other things. I've followed other people. I, I've been in other professions. Jesus, there's nothing else out there for me. Going back to the title of our message tonight, Jesus, you are enough for me. I've tried everything. I've followed other. You're enough. You're enough. Jesus, verse 69, Peter says, I believe. You say that you're the bread of life, I believe. You say as the bread of life that you'll satisfy every spiritual longing in our heart, I believe. Jesus, you said as the bread of life that I can follow you and I will have eternal life, I believe. Jesus, I believe. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm sold. I'm in. I'm completely in Jesus. I'll tell you, I I love that text. And I pray tonight that that text would minister to your heart. I pray that the Lord would speak to your heart tonight and say, hey, do you want to go? I mentioned earlier at the beginning of our study, maybe you have someone in your life who was your running partner in the faith. And for whatever reason, they've decided to, to walk away. Maybe the Lord brought you here tonight to say, hey, would you like to go too? Would you like to go too? Man, Jesus, that's just wrong. Jesus, that's discouraging. I feel all alone. I, I feel abandoned. Well, would you like to go? No. You're it for me. Listen, church, give me your eyes for a moment. Would you make that your declaration tonight? Jesus, you are enough for me. Jesus, you're it for me. No matter what I go through in this life, Jesus, you are enough for me. What I want to do in the remainder of our time together this evening is I want to give you guys just, I want to give you guys three, three, three points, three little mini lessons as we begin to sort of wrap our time up. As I was praying the past couple of weeks about what direction the Lord would want to take us. I was really, really seeking the Lord. And I'm be honest, it's, it's difficult when someone in, in, invites you to teach and, and they're like, teach on whatever's in your heart. And all of a sudden you're like, I got like 18 things in my heart. Lord, what, what direction do you want to go? Whatever's a good word, whatever you feel the church at South Bay needs to hear, Lord, well, I know a few people there. And all of a sudden you start to think of people and you're thinking, okay, well, this person needs to hear this. And so all of a sudden you're like, I think I'm going to go in this direction. But then you got another friend that goes to church here and you're like, ooh, they need to hear that. I think we're going to go in this direction. And then all of a sudden you have like a million thoughts in your mind and you're completely confused. And it's the day before you're like, I don't know what I'm going to teach. Got 18 Bibles. And, And then the other thing is someone said, well, why don't you just teach what you're teaching at your church? We're in Genesis at my church. 
you guys are going through Genesis on Sunday night. So it was like the Lord's like, can't recycle a message. I'm like two chapters behind you guys in Genesis. So I was like, can't do that either. And so as I sat before the Lord, there were three things that the Lord just kind of put on my heart tonight as we sort of land our time together. And I pray that as we're here tonight, that these would possibly maybe be three things or maybe an area where God's saying, hello, can I have your attention? Can I speak to your heart? I brought you here for a reason. You're not here by accident, chance, or coincidence, but you're here by divine appointment. I want to speak to your heart about some areas. The first thing that the Lord kind of put on my heart with this theme of, is Jesus enough? Number one, if you happen to be taking notes tonight, I simply wrote down here in my notes, is Jesus enough when you're isolated and alone? If you're here tonight and you might, you might be at a place where you feel isolated or alone. Or maybe you're here tonight and, and that loneliness comes from a place of singleness. Maybe you're here tonight and you're at a place where you have a desire for marriage. Or you've been heartbroken because of a previous marriage. And you're here tonight for whatever reason you feel like no one else is in it with me. I feel completely isolated, and alone. And there's desires in your heart. There's things that the Lord knows that you desire. And for whatever reason, you find yourself in a season where those things just don't seem to be met. And you're here tonight and and, and you would say, you know, Raph, I, I feel isolated and alone. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. King David, before he was King David, he found himself in, in that sort of place. You guys remember David lived a pretty enjoyable and prosperous life. He was one of King Saul's best military officers. And you guys remember David had led Israel to victory after victory over the Philistines. And David had so much favor that King Saul even gave David his daughter to marry, making David part of the royal family. But the closer he got to the royal family, the more he realized that his father-in-law Saul was crazy. You remember Saul wasn't walking with the Lord. In fact, Saul was demonically oppressed and he was rebelling against God. And it eventually became clear that God's hand was no longer upon Saul's life. And Saul became paranoid, fearful, angry, and jealous as he began to hear the chants that Saul has killed thousands and David has killed ten thousands. And it became clear to Saul that God's hand was no longer upon him and God's hand was now upon David. And Saul said, man, David has taken everything in me. The only thing left is the kingdom. And so Saul, with all this anger, with all this resentment, with all this insecurity, he goes and he sets out to hunt David. David now has to leave the palace, the prosperous life, that good life that he'd been living. And at this time, David was still a young man. 
and yet he was forced to flee from King Saul. And there he was running, isolated, alone. And he was at this place where all he had was God. So in this season, David could literally say, you know what? God is enough for me. Because literally that's all that David had as he fleed Saul. And listen to these words that David writes in Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2. In his place of loneliness, in his season of being alone, David said these words. He says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Listen to this. Apart from you, I have no good thing. David said, in my time of isolation, in my time of loneliness, Lord, the only thing that I have going for me is you. In this moment, Lord, apart from you, there's nothing good about my life. And yet, because I have you, I have everything there is that's good in life. Would you give me your eyes for a moment, church, this evening? Some of us might be here, and we might be in that very same place that David is. Completely alone, completely isolated, completely hurt and rejected. I pray that if you're in that moment this evening, you would be able to reach the point that David said, hey, you're enough. I have you, so I have a good thing. And if I were to ever lose you, I would lose a good thing. You remember that oldie? Remember that song that, that, that talks about if, if, you should, if you should lose me, yeah, you lose a good thing. You guys know what's, I, I, I'm not a worship leader, by the way. Okay, but listen, but you, you know what that song, right? If you should lose me, yeah, you lose a good. Every once in a while, my wife likes to walk by and sing that to me. She'll come by and she'll like, um, just a reminder, if you should lose me, yeah, you lose a good. I'm like, I, I know, I know, got it. And it's kind of the same thing with David. He says, man, apart from you, I have no good thing. But with you, I have everything. Number two, would you write this one down this evening? Number two, is Jesus enough when you're battling temptation? Is is Jesus enough when you're battling temptation? Maybe you're here tonight and there's been a passion sort of beginning to flare up in your life in the form of temptation, in the form of a seduction. And it's there, it's before you, and it's been something that you've been battling Let me ask you tonight, is Jesus enough when you're battling temptation? Or let me say it like this, is Jesus enough? Maybe you're at a place tonight where you're really struggling in this area. Is Jesus enough when you want to have sex? You're here and you're like, I I just, I want to. I have a desire to, it's in front of me, I'm being tempted to. What do you do? in those moments where temptation is, is, is in front of you, is before you? How do you get to a place where you're like, my flesh wants to do this, my flesh wants to be a part of this, 
but I think I'm going to say no. I think I'm going to resist. In Genesis chapter 39, I'm recycling one little nugget, okay, from Genesis. But in Genesis chapter 39, you guys remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. There they were. They're in the palace. And it it tells us that day after day, she would come to him and she would try and attempt to seduce him. And day after day, David, or I'm sorry, Joseph would have to say no. David or Joseph would have to resist. And finally, there came a day where she goes before him. It says that she, in, in, in Genesis 39 verse 7, that she cast longing eyes on him. And she says, lie with me. Just like our temptation every single day says, hey, would you lie with me? Or would you click on me? Or the billboard on the side of the road says, would you come and visit me? Or there's someone in your life that maybe you've been giving a little bit more to it, too much attention to, or we're receiving a little too much attention from, and it's, and it's screaming out, would you come and lie with me? Would you come and sin with me? You see, Egypt was a very sexual culture. There Joseph finds himself. And so Potiphar's wife is is a very sexual woman. So for her to be that upfront and that blunt, it, it was just part of the culture. She says, would you come and would you lie with me? And one of the best verses in the entire Bible Psalm 39, or I'm sorry, Genesis 39, verses 8 and 9, it says, Joseph refused. And he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and has committed all that he has to my hand. He said to verse 9, there's no one greater in his house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, but because you are his wife. And then he says these words. And I pray you would remember these words if you're in that place tonight where you're battling temptation. Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph, in that moment, he remembers the Lord. He says, how can I do this? How can I sin? Yes, it's before me. Yes, it's asking me to lie with it. But how can I do this and sin? I love that David uses the word wickedness, not just wickedness, but he says, how can I do this great wickedness? David addresses, or Joseph looks and says, let me call it what it is. It's wicked, it's evil, and I refuse to lay down. I refuse to lie. I refuse to give in. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna pass. Give me your eyes for a moment, church, tonight. If there's anyone here who's at a place where Seduction and temptation has been knocking at your door and it's been asking you to come lie with it. I pray that Jesus would be enough to say no. I pray that you would be so satisfied in the bread of life that you would say, that might, that might please for a moment but it will never please like Jesus will. How can I sin and do this great wickedness against God? I pray that Jesus would be enough for us. I pray that our relationship with God and and the way that the Lord loves us, I pray that it would be enough 
for us to say no, for us to refuse. And let me finish with this last thought, number three tonight. Is Jesus enough when life seems unfair? Is Jesus enough when life seems unfair? Psalm 73, some of you know the psalm, was written by a guy by the name of Asaph. And Asaph was really struggling. Asaph was having a really difficult time as he watched the world around him. From his vantage point, it looked like they were being blessed. He looked and said, God's supposed to be good. And yet look at how he's blessing the wicked. They're prospering. Their lives look good. And and for me, I've, I've kept my heart pure. And it seems like I'm doing this in vain. It seems like it's all for nothing. Some of us tonight, we're at a place where we might seem like, life might seem like it's unfair. But Asaph came to a moment there in Psalm 73, verse 17, where it says he walked into the sanctuary of God and he understood the end of the wicked. He came to a place where he walks in the sanctuary, he goes, wait, my eyes, my mind were off the Lord, but now that I'm back at church, now that I'm back in the sanctuary, I realize the end of the wicked. I realize the destructive path that these people are going down. And so, yes, it might seem like life is unfair when, when I take my eyes off the Lord, but the moment I put my eyes back on the Lord, everything is okay. And this, is what, this was his conclusion, and this is where I want to finish this evening. In Psalm 73, verse 25, Asaph said these words, He says, who am I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He looks to the Lord. He puts his eyes back on God and off of the situation, off of the circumstances, off of what seems to be or appears to be unfair. He puts his eyes back on God and he all of a sudden says, wait, wait, wait. There's nothing I desire besides you. God, you're enough for me. Even if I don't have all the other things that this world has, even if I, have, I don't have the other things that everyone around me has, even if it seems like I, I've gone the short end of the straw when it comes to material things, Lord, there's nothing on this earth that I desire besides you or over you or in place of you. You guys can close your Bibles. We're we're, we're done this evening. But before we pray, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? You know, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about all these scenarios for the past several days. You know, if you're married tonight, is Jesus enough? When you reach that point in your marriage where you realize, although I'm married to the biggest knockout, she still doesn't satisfy me. She doesn't satisfy my spiritual need. You see, my wife is absolutely gorgeous. But when it comes to the spiritual, there's only one that can satisfy me. You know, if you're single here tonight, is Jesus enough for you? And I know you have a longing. 
And I know some of you have a desire. And some of you are at a place where it's starting to become a little impatient. But in this season of life, is Jesus still enough for you? If you're here tonight and you're hurting, is Jesus enough to get you through this season? If you're here tonight, I I was thinking about this earlier. Some of you maybe showed up to church tonight and you're expecting Pastor Jeff. And instead you got this. There's times when you, (laughs) I remember we went on a, we went on a trip, we went on vacation, and my fa- we went to Chicago, and my favorite pastor teaches in Chicago. And I remember we got there, and I'm like, the, 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 the one thing I'm going to do here is we're going to go visit that church, and I'm going to go hear my favorite pastor, and I'm never going to be back in Chicago again, so we're going to go. And I got there, and it was his son teaching. No offense, but it was a little bit of a bootleg wannabe ripoff. You know, but I was like, it's, it's, it's not the same. And sometimes you go to church, and you're like, is my favorite worship leader playing? Is my favorite pastor teaching? And then you show up and this is here. But let me ask you, is Jesus still enough? Is Jesus enough? I pray that he is. And I pray we come to the point where we realize that he satisfies like nothing else in this life satisfies. Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word declares that the entirety of it is truth, Lord. Lord, help us to embrace all that your word declares. Lord, the things that are easy to accept and even the things that are hard, difficult to accept. Help us to embrace all that your word has for us. And Lord, tonight, I I pray over every heart and over every mind in this sanctuary. Lord, I pray that in the midst of your word tonight, I pray that there was something in there, something, a verse, a phrase, a point, a, a, a little nugget, Lord, that each of us can hold on to. That, all, that each of us can cling to, that each of us would be able to say, that was for me. That's why I came. That's what I needed to hear. And so, Lord, we thank you for tonight. And, Lord, I do pray that you would take every heart that's in this room that, that, that's struggling with belief, that, that, that's struggling with embracing you, as the bread of life, as the one who will ultimately and does ultimately satisfy them. Lord, help them to say tonight, I believe, yet help my unbelief. Help me to taste and see that you're good. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen.